Bumping some music, man. You, you, you hate that music, huh? No, I like that. I like it's from that. our era. Yeah, no, we're '80s kids. Our guest right now is thinking, "What is that? What going are you guys on? listening to?" Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> this, it was a remix. What they do now is everything that was back when we were kids is cool again. Yeah. Because I saw all the kids that went to school; they're wearing bell bottoms again. Did you see that? Yeah, and they're wearing all the T-shirts from where you know all those. Uh, salt and pepper. My daughter wore a salt and pepper shirt to uh, school, and I was like, why, "Why did you buy that?" She goes, "Dad, this is cool." I'm like, "You don't even know who that is." You don't. But there's why another are you one wearing it. I saw a girl that was walking across the street in Mapleton. She was wearing bell bottoms and a Shira shirt. He man, she she don't know that. Yeah, she doesn't know who that is. Anyways, <laughs> we like to welcome you guys again to another episode of Good Story. We're gonna pay some bills. We like to thank our sponsors, Bucked Up, Bucked Up Drink. They do supplements as well as vitamins and creatine. Uh, we also like to thank our NutriCost.com. NutriCost, they do protein. They do, what else they do? They do all the same stuff. Elderberry. Yeah. They, ginger. They do all the, the supplements and minerals, healthy stuff. And so shout out to men and the owner of NutriCost, which is located here in AF. So it's NutriCost.com. Are you sure? It's Ormo 1600 North. Okay. Well, Okay, Mr. GPS. Okay, so, and then we like to thank uh, Cup Bop. Cup Bop. They actually took my son's billboard down. It's not? No, they, because they, they're doing a, a di- my son was on the high, highway billboard. If you drive up I-15 off university, you look on the right, he's, he's up there. Anyways, they're doing a media, social media campaign with him. But anyways, thank you to Cup Bop. We haven't eaten Cup Bop in a while. Yeah. Cup Bop is Korean barbecue in a cup. Also, Savage Fish Poke, Hawaiian Poke, they're right across the street from us here at University and right by the mall. And if you buy your dinner before five, uh, during the time of 5 to 7 and you say, good story, you get 25% off of your dinner. Did I miss anybody? Oh, Savage E-Bikes. Savage E-Bikes. Thank you, Savage E-Bikes, Blaine and those guys. Uh, yeah, I'm still waiting for my E-Bike. Yeah, it's actually really fun. I'll tell you about it. So... <laughs> Anything else? Anybody else that we got? No, that's it. You covered. Oh, the Kisa Kava. Sorry, Kisa Kava. We'll we'll let Cami know if you ever heard of Kava before. But Kava is a is a Kisa Kava is sold on their Instagram page. It's K I S A Kava, and you can order your Kava on the Instagram information, and you get ten percent off. You mentioned good story. All right, welcome. We have a great guest today. I'm excited. We're excited. We always try to expand what we talk about. Sometimes we talk about absolutely nothing. Now we're talking about some some meat in our conversations now. So we like to also always inspire and give some some good information to the public. And uh, everybody has different struggles. And we're just excited to to hear the the story of Cami Sandal. Sandal, like yep. the sandal. Like sandals on your feet, but okay. with two L's, yeah. Two L's, sandals on your feet. Cami is <laughs> actually a, a daughter of, I, I think she's like my second mom, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Shelly. So um, Cami is a great story. We don't want to take up too much time just giving a little intro, but Cami grew up in Utah. Um, she spells C-A-M with a big M and small I. She'll tell you that, why the big M in it. Cause I spell my name L E big R O Y. That's why my friend Andy tried to call me Leroy. What's the, it's kid, not Leroy. It's just Leroy. Why, why you make the big R? Because when my mom and dad put it on the birth certificate, it was just a small R, but I wanted to be cool. I put L E Leroy Glover. Oh my God. What? <laughs> this guy's so extra. So, so when I sign my name, I put L E big R O Y, but it's, does not Leroy, but Andy that came in, my friend, he came in, he's a film guy. I grew up with them, Andy Orozco, and he likes to call me Leroy. And these guys are like, who's Leroy? I go, that's my stage name. So anyways, Cammie, welcome. Welcome Thank to you. Good Story. Thank you. I want you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are and give us give us the rundown. And we'll kind of just fill in as you you see. You're, you're inked up, and uh, that's part of our culture too. So Yes, I definitely have 
quite a few tattoos. Just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. Shelly, you got tattoos? Okay. She said no, just so everybody in the public that <laughs> she, she shook, shook her. Okay. Well, my name is Cami Sandal. Um, I come from here, late, well, Leighton, Utah. I have five brothers and a sister, so I grew up in a big family um, in the LDS culture as a child. Um, uh, that's Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for those people that don't know what that is. Okay. Yes, thank you. And uh, my story is a story of severe addiction, uh, a lot of mental health illness, and recovery, and what I'm doing now to give back to others who have a similar story or a similar journey than that I do. So the partying started. Yeah, talk us through that. Like. The when was the first time that you had uh, experience with substance abuse or just trying it? Trying spring? it was my sophomore year. Trying okay. it, yeah. And I, we moved around a lot as I was a child. And I was like eighth grade president. I had straight A's, doing very well. And then we moved schools. I didn't have any friends. It was my sophomore year. The friends that I started to hang out with that welcomed me were a little rowdy. Mm. They liked to drink and party and stuff. And so that was my first alcohol. Um, I started doing it on the weekends, drinking often. I got kicked out of high school. For, How did you get it? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I Everybody had it. Everybody had it. The first time it was from... Uh, a friend of mine, her parents were out of town, and they had a full bar in the basement. So in was, Utah, yes, oh. I mean every alcohol you could imagine. Did you think Utah Mormon families they don't have secret bars? Yeah, they everyone's they Mormon. They weren't Mormon. Yeah. I was Mormon, but they were not Mormon. Right. So it started then. I got kicked out of high school for drinking in high school and getting some of the cheerleaders drunk. Um, <laughs> that's where it started. After high school, um, the drinking kind of continued. It, I just partying on the weekends, then started partying a little bit heavier. And it continued up until the point I got pregnant. I got pregnant at the age of 20. Mm. I had my daughter when I was 21. I stopped for a few years at that point when she was little. Um, and then got out of a toxic relationship and um, was being a good mom for the first few years. After that, um, I was going to school, I was being a full-time mom, working full-time, and I got into another relationship where he drank, so I started drinking often again. My mom would watch my daughter for me, and I would go out and start drinking quite a bit. Um, I married a man uh, when Michaela was five years old, and he drank but um, he had a job. He had three other children. Um, he was a wonderful father and really good to my daughter, and that's what she needed at that time, so I fell in love with him for that. Um, while I was married, I got into a car accident in t- um, 2014. It was a pretty bad car accident, and I hurt my back pretty severely. So we were drinking um, at home, but it wasn't out of control Uh once I hurt my back and went to the doctor, I they gave me a whole lot of oxycotton, a whole lot of morphine, mm. a lot of dr- a lot of pain pills because of my MRI. My MRI showed a herniated disc, a bulging disc, and a disintegra- disintegrating disc. So I went to a pain clinic and they started handing out the pills. I took them as prescribed in the beginning, um, exactly what the doctor told me, but mixing them with alcohol occasionally was not was not a good choice. Yeah. So um, once I started to get the euphoria and some of the feelings from the pills, I would start to abuse them. I crushed them. I chewed them, whatever I needed to do. And I spiraled out of control mixing it with the alcohol. I ruined my marriage. Um, After I ruined my marriage, I took my daughter and we moved a couple times. It was just her and I again. And... um, I was so severely addicted to these pain pills, I couldn't quit. Um, I didn't realize it until I ran out of them one time, and physically, I was sick. I was puking, I was shaking, I was sweating. It just got really, really intense. Uh, My mom would come. I decided I was going to quit by myself, which was not the right choice. 
but my mom would come and watch me while I was sick and my dad had my daughter and then they'd switch and um, I finally got myself detoxed off these pills. It took a few years though um, and once I got myself detoxed, I was so socially awkward. I didn't know how to connect with people. I was really ill. Um, I... I just wasn't functioning very well in society at all. We moved into this apartment complex, and uh, my neighbor, actually, who has now passed, um, she saw me going through the detox process, and she said, you know, I've watched you struggle, I've watched you go through this, and uh, I have something that I want to help, and in her mind, she was truly helping the only way she knew how, and the only way she knew how was to introduce uppers. So that was when I started using uppers, and magically, I was a different person. I could get up. I could clean the house. I could do different things, um, but I just traded one addiction for another, right. not knowing that this one would be substantially even worse than my first one. Um, my daughter was distancing herself from me. She would stay at my mom's often because that was a healthy place for her to be. Um, she got really ill. She got sick, and I was convinced that it was the mold in the walls in the apartment complex. So they came, and they redid the whole apartment, and um, it was just really bad. It wasn't until I was healthy enough and out of treatment that I realized that most likely she was sick because I was using drugs in the home, where in the air that she was breathing. And um, that took me years to even admit out loud that's a shame piece that I carried with me for a long time. Um, so yeah, my addiction spiraled out of control. Once I got on the uppers, um, we moved to a different house. I got a different house in Pleasant View and I was making money. I was finally making money. But my daughter still wanted to stay with my mom. And because she wanted to stay with my mom so often, I got extremely suicidal. If I had failed at the only thing in this world that had brought me purpose and that had brought me joy and that relied on me to solely take care of her, if I had failed at that, I did not want to live anymore. <laughs> not one piece of me. So the only comfortable solution in my mind was suicide. Um, I thought for sure she would be better off in a healthy environment with my parents the damage that I had done in my family and in my life was so severe that um, that was my option. At this time, I got a job. I moved to Pleasant View and got a new house because I was working again and making money. So Michaela moved, my daughter moved back in with me, and she had a friend that was struggling with her parents. So her friend moved in with me also. So I had both of them. Um, it was summertime, and... I would buy them whatever they wanted. I would give them money. I would give them uh, whatever they wanted. And I would work really late hours. So they thought they had it made because mom was providing all this financial stuff that didn't really matter. Things. They were providing things. Yeah. Things, yes. And so I thought, well, at least I'm giving her what she wants. And she wants to be back in my life. So I'm doing it. And I'm doing it well. But I wasn't. I was very, very, very sick. Um my addiction continued to get worse, and I got a few uh, possession tickets, so I was placed on probation. Um, while we were living there, it was around Christmas time, and we had all of our Christmas trees up. I had all of her presents wrapped, um, and I went to check in with my probation officer, and he arrested me and took me into jail for being dirty again, multiple Times. I mean, he gave me lots of chances, and he really believed in me, but I didn't believe in myself, and I thought I was fooling the system. Uh, so I didn't. I told my daughter I'd be right back, and I never came home. So the police showed up to the house during Christmas. No. So I went to check in with them okay. in their office, and they arrested me there in the office. So because, I just because you came up positive, for positive, it, right? yes, okay. for methamphetamines, and um, so. My daughter had ended up calling my mother. I did 62 days in jail. Mm. I uh, 
during Christmas. So that was the first Christmas I didn't have my daughter with me. My whole house was decorated and I didn't get to go home for that. Um, but those 62 days at least got the drugs out of my system. And I thought that was the problem. You know, now that the drugs are out of my system, I'm good. Like, I'm solid in my mind, I thought, you know, because the drugs were the problem. And now that the drugs are out of my system, I can really conquer this. But my mental health, I was still sick and my behaviors were still very, very sick. So the day before I got out, um, a social worker came to the jail and had told me that my house had been robbed. And when my family went to see what was left, my daughter and my mom, um, they found a paraphernalia that was turned in either by the my brothers or, or the cops or whoever. It doesn't matter. It was there. And she told me that I wasn't allowed to see my daughter when I got out. So and when, at this time, Michaela was how old? Michaela was 14. Yeah, 14. And uh, so because I was gone for a couple months, I was evicted from my new house. Everything had been robbed. Uh, I can no longer see my daughter. I had nowhere to go. Do you feel like that was rock bottom? Yes, 100%. Uh, while I was in my addiction in my other house, there were multiple things that had happened. I mean, I got myself in some very difficult situations. There was rape, sexual assault, different domestic violence. I was held at gunpoint multiple times, and nothing could compare to the pain of saying you no longer have your daughter. Mm. Um, again, but this time it wasn't just her choice wanting to see grandma. It was authorities stepping in saying you're no longer suitable to be a parent. And I wasn't. But that shame of, again, messing up. But this time I was sober. <laughs> this time I was sober in jail and I had nowhere to go. And I couldn't see her. So, again, my only solution was... I'm going to die. I'm I'm going to take my own life because if I can't have my daughter, I don't want to do this life. I'm uninterested in a life without her. Um, and so I called my mom. I stayed at a boyfriend's house and told her, you know, that I was giving up. I It was definitely my rock bottom. And my mom asked me if I was going to fight for her. And I was like, DCFS takes your kids away. Right. <laughs> they don't hand your kids back. Right. Like, I don't think you understand how severe this is. Like, if I lost her, I'm done. Like, I, I, there's no other way for me. Um, she told me that I should try and fight for her, that we should look at treatment. But treatment in my eyes was like uh, only rich people could go right. to a like rehab. rehab right. yeah. Expensive, yeah. It's expensive. I didn't have the money for rehab. I didn't, right. you know, I I didn't have any options. Well, then a social worker had called me and told me that I was allowed to see my daughter supervised. So I was like, okay, I, I can go see her one last time. And in my mind, I thought this was going to be the last time that I saw her. So I went and I saw her there supervised with the state involved. And um, she gave me a dose of hope <laughs> because then the social worker had told me if you go to treatment, these visits can continue. And then I learned that there were resources that the state would actually provide Medicaid would actually provide the funds for me to go to. And a lot of people don't know that. No, you know, I had, they just figured what we just said, it's mm -hmm. expensive. It's out of reach. Only rich people. go there. Yes. Well, especially Cammy, because you were, like you said, you were, um, wanted to take your life you were suicidal and yes. at that time you were mentally even though you were sober you were mentally sick i was and so the so only sick. thing that you thought of was like taking your life and you had no hope zero hope i was depleted i was a failure i it was hard for me to get up to brush my teeth i was so yeah. depressed and not having a house to even put your toothbrush i mean i was at the end of everything um and when they gave me the resources, I was like, oh, okay. Like, if you're going to pay right. and I can see her again, then sure. 
So I went to a treatment facility that was funded by Medicaid and um, went to treatment there. It was a about a ninety day, yeah, about a ninety day program, and I was about two to three weeks. And, and during this program, I got to see her every week. Nice. Once a week, these visits continued. So every week, I was learning more about recovery. I was learning more about my brain. I was learning more about mental health. I was learning more about being a parent and what that actually looked like. Um, and I was getting to see her, and she was getting to see me become healthier. You know, with the color of my skin was different. Um, the tone of my voice was different. The things that I would discuss with her was different. So our relationship started to really develop there. Um, even though I was still sick, I was surrounded by therapists and caseworkers and healthy people and some of the staff that weren't therapists that would sit with me during my pain and, and just tell me that I matter. And some of them gave me really, really hard feedback that I needed to hear. Um, so I started to begin to get healthy again. At the end of my program, I broke the rules. I allow, I gave one of my peers there an ibuprofen 800 because she had a toothache, but it was my prescription. So I shared my prescription in treatment with someone mm. else. And so... Um, at the time I thought that that was crazy that they were upset about it. But once I learned that that's a very unhealthy and very risky, very scary choice. Now I can see that they made me go back to jail for two days and then come back and start my program over. Wow. So I was angry. (laughs) Yeah. I was very angry. So you had to start the 90 day over. Yes. So that behavior of uh, just nothing, they they were trying to tell you. And show you that that's not normal behavior. It's not normal behavior. I didn't understand it at the time because I was still sick. And because I had that had been my life for the last few years, I didn't realize, oh, this is actually a dangerous behavior that right. I'm still... But in your environment in the past, that was... That was normal. Yeah. That was kind. And it was That like, was a nice thing to it, do. And it was only... <laughs> it's only 800. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. ibuprofen. It's ibuprofen. You can right, buy it right. at the store. But all the justifications, it doesn't matter. It was a prescription and... It wasn't my place to give it to her. And, and the only reason why I bring that up, that's that's actually a reflection of what life is. Oh, it's just it's just one drink. Yes. You know, and, and one thing leads to another, especially with somebody that has addictions. Yes. Like that little thing leads to big things. Right. And the justification that our brain does like Like it's only eight hundred. It's yes. an ibuprofen. Yes. You know? So But in my addiction it could have been oxycontin, could have been alcohol, could have been anything and I I would have been, oh, this is the kind choice when it's not kind to give anyone poison or anything that doesn't belong to them. Do you feel that through this experience and those lessons that you learned that um, your views of other people are different? Absolutely. Because, I mean, sometimes, well, we'll we'll get to that, what you're currently doing, because that's that's something that we want to talk about as well. So 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 you go back. Do the I go, full ninety days. Do day. the full ninety days again. Oh no! But this time, the first time I learned how to love my daughter, I learned how to show up for people. I learned how to be honest. The second time, I learned how to love myself, and that with or without my daughter, with or without my family, with or without anything, I starts with you. Needed to show up for me. Right. And I didn't learn to love myself there, but I definitely learned to respect myself there. I would no longer allow poison in my environment. I would no longer. And not just physical poison, mental poison, spiritual poison, uh, being in the right places at the right time. Yes. So um, when I finished my program, I uh, moved in with a boyfriend, Kayla and I, and uh, he was still an alcoholic. But I thought it was okay because he was managing life. He had a house. He had a job. Everything was good. Um, On the outside. On the outside. And he definitely was fighting his own demons. But as I'm doing all this intensive therapy, uh, to come home and practice that therapy with someone with liquor on their breath, you can't can't do it. So it became a toxic environment for me to continue to grow in a space that I was dimmed. So I moved out, um, Kayla and I got a new apartment and I think that's where the true healing actually began. 
that's when, I mean, it was a smaller apartment. It was old. It was ghetto. But we were together. Right. We were healthy. You didn't we have to rely safe. on anybody. Yeah. No. It's just you and your daughter. Yes. Going and, through it. And we were safe. And we did things that mattered, like homework and talking about boys and safety and what we just went through. And um, so that's where it started. Once I was there for a little while and, and I had... Uh, about a year and a half clean, I got a job at a treatment center. I started as just house staff. Um, and then over three and a half years, I moved to client services and then admissions. And so I kind of just continued to evolve there. Um, and I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about the women. I got to show up for them. I got to support them. I got to connect with them and see them. Uh, on a level that not a lot of people can. Right. You know, some of the women would complain about the therapists. Well, they don't understand. They've never gone through it. And I'm like, but they still show up for you yeah, every, right. every single day, yeah. not knowing the depths that you feel. They still love you enough to show up to group and try and help you get better. So it doesn't matter that I understand. They do too. Well, and, they're, and they're trying to understand. They're trying to understand. Yeah, yeah. And but, that's huge. We yeah. need everyone to try and understand mental health because somebody knows somebody who's struggling in a really, really dark place. And if everybody had that understanding or desire to understand, I think that we could heal a lot more people. Absolutely. I think some people just need somebody to talk to, you know, even if you don't respond, Yes, you know, and so a lot of times that we have guests that come in, they share their stories. We want to hear them because again, it's a little bit of healing yeah. as you continue to share this story. And it's just like a guy that, that doesn't like to do public speaking. The only way you're going to get better is if you continue to speak. And so now tell me this, the relationship with your daughter is obviously better. It's amazing. Okay. And so the things that you've gone through and your mission now is to share this story because there's somebody that's listening to us now, right now that's going through it. Yes. And we want to make sure that we, we let them know their resources that are out there. Yes. And so talk to us about that. So working at the treatment center I was at, that was part of my, that was part of my job um, is to help them as they come in with resources to know that they're safe, that they can eat, that they can sleep, that they can heal. And then also when they leave, where are you going to live? How are you going to drive? So those life skills were some of the things that I was teaching. But in order to do that, I mean, you can't pour from a cup that's empty, right? Like I had to continue to do my work. Right. So I was doing things like um, running chapters for Addict to Athlete, which is a which is a group of people who used to be addicts that do athletic things together. So we mm. would run and hike and do outdoor addicts support and group. support groups. Mm. Yes, um, I would talk and go often to NA groups similar to AA, um, Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and share my story. Um, I did outreach and went to detox centers and let them know, you know, the ones that were detoxing, the resources that they had, that the state could help them, that they matter. I, you know, I wouldn't even tell them to come to my treatment center. I would just say there is options. Like if this one doesn't fit, let's find one that does because you matter. You're you're loved. Like God has your back 100%, whether you believe it or not, you know, in my darkest times, I didn't see it. And now looking back, spirit never left me, had my back the entire time. Still today, as I struggle through some of the things I struggle with, it's not addiction, but spirit has my back. So, um, there are lots of resources. I had resources for domestic violence. Um, we had it for women who had um, been trafficked. We had it for moms. The program was for moms and children. And this is all here in Utah. Yes. The people are listening to this. Yes. They're thinking that stuff doesn't happen in Utah. Yes. That That's happening here in it's Utah. It's happening often. Right. It's here And you would be surprised of the, the people are thinking, oh, these are just these low income mothers that, you know, don't have parents or single parents. They're not. The no. demographic is as wide as it can be. Yes. From good LDS homes. Yes. To, you know, families that are, you know, parents Rich, are, yeah. Poor, yeah. Yes. Middle class. It's for everybody. There's, it is for there's help there. Like she, you guess she mentioned before, there's Medicaid. Right. Yes. You know, and there's programs through the state. Right. There's even private programs. Yes. So the only reason why I bring this up is because we have a, a wide, majority of our audience is Polynesian. Yes. 
Um, obviously, they, they have different things. Our culture is known to sweep things under the rug. Yeah. And we have some of the strongest women, in I, I believe, in the country and the world ever created, but they are known to hold things in. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's not healthy. It's not. Um, but again, I didn't know. I didn't know that I could ask for help. Right. I didn't know mm. that it was okay to say, I'm so sick that I don't have this Well, anymore. you wouldn't ask for help at that no. time. Yeah. No, I didn't because I didn't know there were options. I didn't know there were places to go and people that show up for you. And they do. And they did. And I worked for a nonprofit for a few years. Now I am helping open a new treatment center um, up in Mountain Green. It's in Morgan County. It's called Reprieve Recovery Center. Uh, and that's up north going towards like Logan. Yes. Okay. Is that towards well, in Ogden Canyon? Ogden. So it's right uh, before Ogden. So the South Weber. Yes. Yes. Highway 89. South Weber Canyon. Yeah. Yes. Highway 89, South Weber Canyon. I told Weber you I grew Canyon. up out there. Yes. Mountain Green, right there in a beautiful area. We're right. opening a... It, private will will accept select health currently we have a contract with select health and then uh, i think a lot of it will be cash pay because it is in a beautiful setting for right. those who do have the money and for those who are because again it doesn't it's not just for people without money it's people everywhere so now i'm shifting to this probably mostly cash pay place right. um it will be for women only nice. i needed a place for women only. When I went through treatment, my traumas were so severe, I couldn't heal with a man next to me. absolutely. Right. I couldn't be honest and authentic about some of the things that had happened with that energy next to me. And that's just me personally. Yeah. So knowing that this is going to be women's only um, really hit home with me. Uh, The men I get to work with are amazing today. Um, (laughs) They're very safe which is important in healing right and um we're not open yet but we're getting there we're very close um the website should be launching we're a couple weeks out well you give us the name though right yeah it's called reprieve recovery reprieve recovery Uh okay and um what we're focusing on it's reprieve recovery a higher way to heal what we're focusing on is in healing there's three pieces there's mind, body, and spirit. And in so many places, they focus on your body and your mind, but they stay away from spirit because they don't know how to approach it. Mm. It's kind of taboo. Um, it's difficult to talk about spirit without people getting their guards up because of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, here, uh, some of the men that I work with are big 12-step guys, Uh I wasn't as much. I went through the 12 steps, but my healing has Tell us a little bit what 12 step is for everybody. That 12 step is a 12, it's a program um, with. Like AA. A, it is AA. Okay. It's just the steps that they go through right. in mm-hmm. AA. Yeah. Um, and so, so they, to complete AA, you got to go through all the 12 steps. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they talk a lot about God there. So some people steer away from that. Like, oh, because they're so angry at life. God is a difficult subject to tackle. But for me. Um, my version of God may look very different than someone else's version of God, but mm-hmm. 1,000% it is real to me. And the connection with light source is real to me. And the connection of spirit is real to me. So we really want to focus on the spiritual aspect, regardless what religion you are. It doesn't matter if you call it God. It doesn't matter if you call it spirit. It doesn't matter if you call it the universe or the cosmos or There's quantum, a higher power. quantum physics. Call right, it what right. you want to call it. We're all saying the same thing. Yeah. There's something greater than us that yep. is helping us through this. And when we're able to tap into that and when we're able to connect with that, we're able to heal a higher version than if we're just focusing on our mind and our body. Right. We really have to focus on that connection. And uh, so that's what we're going to try and do Because it all there. works hand in hand. It all works hand in we, hand. We weren't just created mentally and physically. There's also something in there mm-hmm. that's spiritually. So yes. that's a great point. Both, both Strons and I have served uh, LDS missions. Um, we've always, we've got stories and stories. But because we have kids now that growing up in this time of, craziness that's going on in this world a lot of times they they have those questions just like we did growing up 
And we have to let them know that you're going to make a choice and you'll know you're not going to have a beam of light come from the sky. Mm -hmm. You're going to understand that feeling. But the reason why I'm talking to this, but when you were going through your darkest moments, did you feel that you had, you were not sensitive to the spirit? You couldn't hear it or anything just because of the craziness that was going on. There were moments and I can tell you specifically where I was sitting, what I was feeling. There were moments that I knew something was happening, but I was so sick. I couldn't, I was like, was that light? Right. That God? Is that, is that something there? But I questioned so much of it. Now looking back. You knew that that was there the whole time. There was light there. God had me every step of the way. God knew I needed jail. I needed to be secluded away from people to let my brain heal. I needed to be removed from being a parent so that I wasn't an employee. I wasn't a sister. I wasn't a mom. I could focus solely on me. Right. And me alone. Because you had to take care of yourself before you could take care of everybody else. Yes. Yes. And, that, and and I think a lot of times people in the in the state that they're in at that particular state they don't want to ask for help they don't know what it feels like to be healthy because they've forgotten that yeah. and I think it's years and years and years of whatever you were going through and so sometimes even young kids in elementary they talk about mental health nowadays like when we were growing up if we said you know, I, I'm, I have anxiety. My dad would say, go run around the block for a few times. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes. There was no medication for that. Now I just think everything is, you medicate this kid yeah. at every every chance you get. And to be honest, I mean, medication, in my opinion, medication definitely has its place. But where it wasn't talked about, and now it's super talked about, you have to be very cautious as you're walking into that. Because... It could be a different addiction. It could be putting different chemicals in your body. So make sure, like in my opinion, work closely with your health providers if you're going to do that. Um, but if you can, your dad had a point about running around the block, though. <laughs> There's something about exercise. Yep. You know, my daughter right now is 18. She's going to be 19 next month. And she'll often tell me she's feeling anxiety or feeling depressed. And she's going like, to go for a run. Girl, you have been living on energy drinks, monsters. You haven't had any vegetables in your life. When's the last time you had a glass of water and you've been on your screen for six hours straight? Right, Like you need to eat some healthy food. You need to drink some water. You need to come to the gym with me or take a yoga class. And then once you're recentered and connected and a little bit healthier, then let's talk about the problems. Right. But we can't talk about the problems when you've been staring at your screen, comparing yourself to these women that don't really exist under yeah. filters and feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's connect. And she does a great job. We'll go hiking, you know, it, it's up and ups and downs, especially with teenagers. I'm a total but, person that believes in that activity. Yes. You know, get out of the house. Yes. Stop looking at that screen. My eight year old asked me the other day when you were growing up, that was the app you like to look at when you were growing up. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones, you know, so no. it just, the shift of trying to, and then that, that's what I'm talking about is for us, we want to be able to be relatable to our kids, but they just look at us like, oh, you guys are not cool. But we talked about that earlier. Hey, bell bottoms coming back. Even though that wasn't, that kind of was us, but it really wasn't us. That wasn't us. Yeah. It wasn't, well, our dads wore that. Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad wore that with the tight, tight bell bottoms with the fat tie to church. That, that was my dad. But yeah, those are our parents. But I'm saying all these different things when you're trying to, like, explain this stuff. If I was to sit my daughter down and I was to look at her, even if a parent, you, because I would love to speak to Shelly on this, but most parents don't know that their kid's going through it. You know no. what I mean? Until it's too late. No. And, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for my mother. She definitely knew I mean, everyone knew but me at the time. Because well, I mean, my you knew because you got you got yeah. all the cheerleaders drunk. Okay, yes. so everybody knew that. that yes, point. <laughs> but um, how do you help someone who doesn't even know that they have a problem yet? Right. Yeah. Or how do you help someone with so much shame around a subject that is so vulnerable to talk about? That if somebody started talking about, you leave the room. Yeah. Yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah. What are the, I mean? Speak on that a little bit, Cammy, as far as like. Someone going through addiction and the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment. Okay. I would love to talk about that. Um, so for me, growing up in the LDS community and having a big family, I would isolate. Yeah. I would feel like I didn't belong. I would feel like I wasn't good enough. I had a lot of shame built around my family all 
going to the temple and doing the things that we were taught and I, I hadn't, and I didn't. So going to family events when I had an addiction was just not something I felt comfortable doing. So I would stay away from healthy people, just like I stayed away from God. So when you, the, I'm going to reference a book again, Brene Brown. She talks very clearly about the difference between shame and guilt. And when you have shame that says, I am something bad. When you have guilt that says, I did something bad. Mm -hmm. And there's a significant difference in those two feelings. And so when I did something bad, that's okay. We got work to do. We can do something different tomorrow. But when I am something bad, you can't crawl out of that hole. You're destroyed is the way you feel. So it was difficult to be around my family because I felt I was something bad instead of the things that I was doing. Now today where I sit, I'm able to say that those were choices that I made that I did something bad, but I am not bad. I am whole. I am worthy. Um, No matter what I did, no matter what I put my family through, God loves me just as much. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's Nobody's perfect. perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I believe at some point, you know, everybody's trials are different. And I know that my trial and my daughter's trial and my mother's trial are all very different, but because of my choices. And in my addiction, I thought, I'm not hurting anyone. I'm hurting myself. Right. I'm putting, I'm not doing anything to you guys in the family. So why are you upset? The only person I'm hurting is me, is what I thought. Mm. When really I did a lot of damage because they loved me and they had to watch me downward spiral and now you know I went to St. George with my family two weeks ago and to have those connections to feel like I belong to feel like I don't have to live up to certain standards like I can show up as I am today and I'm loved right (laughs) and And you didn't see that back then you didn't see that these people are going to love me regardless no you know but you didn't see that back then we even heard about your dance party with the light uh, things that, <laughs> yes, so, it was so fun. Awesome, can't wait to do that. It was so fun, but yeah, a sense of belonging. Uh, quickly, I'll tell you, I watched this documentary that discussed the difference between, um, or the opposite of addiction, is connection. And he did this study okay. with rats. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen it, but he get he had all these rats. And, you know, they've done water and the other one had cocaine and the rat would use the cocaine until he died. Well, this guy had a different idea to have like a rat heaven. So he had slides and he had female rats and male rats and all the cheese and all the food and all the things that you can have with the same drugs in the water. And they rarely touched the drugs. Because they had they had other rats, they had other people, they had other things to do. Right. And so the opposite of addiction being connection, I fully believe because of the isolation that you put yourself in, when you can connect with family and you can connect with community and you can connect with yourself and you can connect with God, you have this belonging that that you don't feel alone. You don't feel alone. You don't need the drugs. You don't need the drugs. You don't want the drugs. Because you I have like you have that. a place Man, I in feel life. Like after talking to Cammy, I could be a therapist. <laughs> you know, I no, could, I, you know, you go to like colleges and you 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 give a talk, then you have an honorary doctor's degree. I think I'm an honorary therapist right now because if you connect with the people that you love, you will not be alone. Right. right. I'm going to coin that. I'm going to make a shirt. Yes. Connect, connection. I mean. Addiction is the opposite of connection. Correct. See, and sometimes people, they think, I'm an addict. This is what all my addict friends think. But you don't understand that the people that you're being an addict around, they're also alone too. Yeah. So you're not really a connection with them. You're just doing stuff that everybody else is doing. And, and, so, and they may think, like, their friends love them. But looking back, like, anybody that's going to give poison to another person does not love you. Like, yeah. they're miserable. That's what I tell Strongs all the time when he, he was in a gang. I'm like, those gang guys don't like you. No. You know, no, they're, they're, that's they're not your family. Miser- they're miserable Come as well. back to church, Strongs. Yes. No, he's, he's joking. <laughs> Cammy, I just want, I mean, you've mentioned family so much yeah. during this, you know, interview with you and your pro- and your journey. Um, and you even said it, too. My family was there through the whole thing. Yeah. Talk a little bit about, in a little bit more detail about this lady right here. This lady right here is my mother. She was there for the whole thing. She's the backbone of our day program. Go ahead. <laughs> she is phenomenal. She had seven kids and 24 something like that grandkids. 
Um, and she did it all. She took care of my dad. She took care of all of us. She's a great cook. She's a phenomenal cook. Phenomenal. And um, she was there. And she tried. And she loved me. And she really wanted to love me through it. But I wouldn't allow it. Again, I would isolate and not feel that sense of belonging. I'm surprised she didn't spank you. I She should have. Oh, she should have you spanked know? you. <laughs> she... Um, she did an amazing job, and and I wasn't in a space that I could see it or accept it. Um, today, I don't know how many times I've called her sobbing, apologizing, and she's just like, you're better. I forgive you. Like, stop beating yourself up. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I beat myself up because being a mom, I can't believe what I put her through. Yeah. I, I, I feel so bad for what I put her through, but the only thing I can do is show up differently today. The only thing I can do is tell her I love her today. The only thing I can do is choose not to do drugs today. The only thing I can do is model her love for her savior. The only thing I can do is continue to show her that I was lost and now I still have struggles. Definitely not perfect, but they're different. It's an ongoing battle. And I always tell your mom that every time she goes to the temple to please put my name in, you know, that's write my name in the temple. Every time and Shelly, she, right? she so. tells me too. <laughs> I put your name in the temple and because I've never been, I'm like, I don't even know what that means, but thank you. Like I'll take the prayers. That means from- <laughs> thousands of people are praying <laughs> for you yes. all the prayers time. Prayers on steroids. Thousands and thousands. And we all know, God knows we all need those prayers. Yes. So. And if that is what it means, then I am so grateful. And most likely those prayers are the reason why I'm still alive today. That's Absolutely. what I tell my brother all the time. I go, my parents went to the temple Every day, maybe two. Sometimes they stayed in the temple all day. Back in Tonga, my parents lived there, and they stayed in the temple all day and just went around and did everything in there. And all they thought about was my brother. Mm. And out of for thirty five years mm. while he was in prison, I believe that. And now he's out. And the, then the pa- my, prayers and of the parents. It is. And then my my when my brother got out this year, March, um, our family went to L.A. to see him. And my mom only got to spend two days with him, and she passed. But yeah. we're, but we're good. But Cammy, we are good with it. She got. She to got spend to see her boy exactly, and they she got he, those two yeah. days. Yeah, two days, yeah. and she passed, and it was crazy. I mean, she flew what into California. Miracle. Yeah, yeah. She and um, you know, she passed away at the hotel. We all stayed at the hotel right by the LAX airport, and my brother says this was the best two days of his life. We stayed there, hung out, talked all night, ate all night. She passed away in the hotel, and, you know, her mission's done. And now she can go to the other side. And Now he's got an extra angel. Yeah, and that's what, we, and that's what he says. Five years, you, know, you and know, and so he's, and so we're grateful. So, and, you know, your story, um, when I hear it, Cammie, is so similar. And we, I, I know Lira and I can identify with it because we have family members that went through this. And we still have family members that are going through this. And so we just want to just applaud you and uplift you and congratulate you for just keep going. Because you are you just started. And yeah. you have so many blessings that are in front of you that you don't see right now. Uh, this story right now is one of them. Someone's going to hear this story and be touched. And their lives are going to be changed. And that's the reason why we're here. So thank you so much. Yes. Well, absolutely the reason why we're here. I think that, I mean, it's difficult to blast some vulnerable stuff about your life into the world. But if it's going to help someone else realize they're not alone, I'll show up for it every time. That's bravery. Yeah. You know, that that's... There's a lot of things that we could describe this this show today. But, man, inspiring is, is the one that comes off the top. Because, like Strong said, we have a lot of loved ones that are going through the same things. And... It, it's tough. Like I said, culturally, we need to break that that mode of helping them to understand that, look, there's people that have been through it and you can get help. Yes. You know, and so it's just sad that sometimes an addiction story is they have to hit rock bottom. Yeah. We hope it's not that they leave this earth, Yeah. you know, to do it. But, you know, we. But we, the end game of continuing ad- addiction is six feet in or six feet under. Right, I mean, yeah, that's right. the end game. Yep. And um, there are resources and there are help. And I I think the biggest point would be to reach out (laughs) to say I'm not okay Because I think as soon as I was able to say I'm not okay, (laughs) 
People show up for you. Yeah. People right. love yeah. you. People want to help you. And I, and I think that's key that people need to hear is that even though you may feel you're alone, you're not. Right. And so I don't, I don't know if people understand that. I mean, at your particular time when you felt like you hit rock bottom, if somebody grabbed you and threw you in there and said that you need to go do that, I don't think you would have went. I think no. there had to be circumstances leading up to that. And that's what I'm afraid of is sometimes people go down that road and there's people that care about them that we don't say, hey, we're here for you. Because sometimes us as a, as people, we're like, uh, you know, they don't want to hear from us. They feel like we're being preachy. But maybe you need to be sometimes. Just don't give up. Yeah. I mean, there were there were times when I didn't listen to the preaching and there were times when it hit my soul so deeply that I knew. I mean, I remember one day when I was in treatment and the sunshine came out and I was looking at the grass and it was definitely a God moment where the light of the sun, just something that I hadn't witnessed in a long time, the sun rays, the grass, the fresh air, the trees, and all of a sudden I felt lighter. And um, those little moments, right. you know, little moments of my brother showing up to my family group and saying, hey, I see you, I love you, like, we're here. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and to continue now, like, we just had our open house at Reprieve, and my sister came, and that meant a whole lot to me for her to show up and, like, just see what we're doing now and see what I get to be a part of today. And everybody's rock bottom has a freaking basement. Yeah. Like <laughs> it can always continue to yeah. get worse. And it yeah. does until, until you're brave enough to be open to God, be open to family, be open to help. Awesome. <laughs> well, let's, let's leave it with that then, yeah. you know, and, and the thing is we appreciate all the, the support that we continue to get from everybody that's listening. And, and if there's ever uh, somebody that wants to reach out, please do. Our website is available. You guys can message us. If you want more information on Cami and her uh, center that they're opening up in Mountain Mor Green, Mountain Green, Morgan Utah, County, Morgan yeah. County. And we're, we're here for you. We can get you more information and everybody that knows me. Cause I'm pretty popular. We're in 14 different <laughs> countries. <laughs> so it's incredible. That, yeah, I'm incredible. So people just <laughs> come out, but let's give a nice round of applause for Cammy. You see that we, we're a full studio. She, Shelly can't hear it, but we got <laughs> a full applause. Thank you so much, Cammy. Thank for you coming. so much. Yes. You're and welcome. Thank you, Thank so you for having me. We, we're going to have to have you back because obviously we're going to probably get, these people that have these questions that we're not going to be able, even though I've already claimed to be a professional therapist, we're not going to be able to answer. Reach out because if I don't have the answer, I will find it for you. I'm yeah. connected with a lot of people in the recovery community, gratefully, um, and I I can find the resources. I have a lot of them, but if I don't, I'll do the work because it matters. See, there you got it. So if you need some help, let us know. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Good Story. Good story.